Welcome to the High Vibe Podcast. I'm your host, Bree, and this is your weekly no-fluff self-development podcast for teachers. The High Vibe Teaching Podcast is the self-development you need to instantly improve your life and get through the crap holding you back. Becoming High Vibe has changed my life, and I know it can change yours too. Hi, you guys. Welcome back to this week's show. I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy you guys are doing the work with me together as a community, listening to this podcast every single week. If you did not listen to my episode last week, I highly recommend you listen because I told you guys first about my new job endeavor, where me and my husband are moving. We're changing states. We're moving out of California and, um, I am absolutely so excited. So I'm actually filming this before we've even moved. Um, I just wanted to get these podcast episodes recorded and up because me and my husband are going to be moving um, to a brand new state, obviously, and I'm going to be learning how to be a special education teacher. I've never done anything with SPED other than had like inclusion with other with special ed students in my classroom. But I've never had, you know, been the main person to write the IEPs and to be the special educator on campus. So that's going to be my role. It's going to be a focus of social emotional learning, which I am so excited about. And I can't believe that I get the honor to do this. I am just so grateful. Um, If you want to learn more about what I'm even talking about or if that's news to you, Go ahead and listen to last week's episode, episode 32. Man, that's a really good episode. I haven't recorded it yet. My my plan is to record that episode tomorrow um, because I really wanted to be in such a good vibe talking to you guys about my whole journey with finding a teaching job and all the twists and turns that happened along the way. But anyways, we're going to get in this week's episode, and we're on chapter three of The Holistic Psychologist. Just in case you guys are new, for the past couple of episodes, we are going over The Holistic Psychologist. Um, her name actually is Nicole LaPera, and she's a psychologist. And we are just reading her book and really getting into the idea of our mind, body, and soul connection to help it, to help us heal and to me, healing in this way with the mind-body-soul connection is self, self-care. Um, so that's why I'm so passionate about sharing this with you guys. I love this information. And this week, we're going to be talking about a new theory about trauma. And this is so important to all of us, not even like not only the adults that are listening to this show, but for the educators who have students, who have kids, who, you know, you guys who are listening to this, um, and we're going to learn more about it, but every single person has faced trauma in their life. And with that trauma, it could be something so little or something huge. It doesn't really matter because trauma is trauma. And it's so important for us to heal through that. And that's actually what healing is and what doing the work is and um, expanding into a new level of ourselves, that's what that is, is healing the traumas that have happened in our lives, no matter how big, how small, and really no matter how, no matter what everyone else thinks. I used to feel that, you know, my trauma 
or I've never had trauma or my trauma isn't as big as other people. So I shouldn't talk about it and I shouldn't feel the way I feel because mine isn't as bad as maybe someone else I saw on TV or something, but that's not true. Not true at all. And we're going to talk about it in this week's episode. If you haven't seen my YouTube episode this week, this week I talk about how to teach main idea and supporting details with my TPT product. I absolutely love that product. And I love teaching main idea and supporting details because you can teach main idea and supporting details with every single topic. It's amazing. And this topic of teaching main idea and supporting details, how many times can I say it? You can apply it to social studies, science, anywhere. It's really great. So if you haven't checked it out, go ahead. I will link the video down below. And also, if you are not following me on Instagram, it is at High Vibe Teaching. Best way to reach out to me. And it is the best way to see through the lens of my life of what the heck is going on while I move the moving process, getting the U-Haul truck, loading up the U-Haul truck, and traveling across the desert to get to Las Vegas. So if that sounds fun, go ahead and follow me on Instagram. Also, you can subscribe to this podcast if you love it. New episodes come out every single Monday. And without further ado, let's get into this really, really important work. And first of all, I do want to applaud you guys for clicking play on this video. Um, This is going to be a very interesting topic, but I want you to pay attention to your awareness and how you're feeling learning about this information. And a lot of this information is science-based, which is why I love to share. I love to share the science-based because to me, it's just like makes sense to have science to support these claims. It's kind of, it's evidence. So I hope you guys enjoy, and I guarantee you, you're going to be transformed after listening to this information. All right, so chapter three, it's called A New Theory of Trauma, and it opens up to the idea of disassociation. And maybe you guys have heard of this, but disassociation is a coping mechanism of physical and mental disconnection from our environment in response to consistent stress or overwhelm. So it is a protective response to an event or situation that feels too big or threatening or overwhelming to us in our conscious mind to attend to. So what that means is that let's pretend you were a child and, you know, you had very traumatic experiences as a child, your mind turns off your conscious mind turns off and it's like it never happened in a way. Your mind disassociates reality and kind of takes you to a different space and time as a protection mechanism. So, um, for example, the author used to say when her parents would fight when she was growing up, she would disassociate by pretending she was in a rocket ship flying away or she would play pretend with something else or she doesn't even remember any of the traumatic things happening. And that happens a lot with people who face trauma in all different ranges. Um, Again, I like to think of trauma as being, um, I don't want to say it's like worse trauma or less worse trauma because to me trauma is trauma. But um, it happens a lot when people face traumatic experiences. It's a very common stress response for people who are living with childhood trauma, like I said before. 
Um, the author, the holistic psychologist, even mentioned when she was growing up, she really can't remember a lot of details about her childhood because she was in a constant state of stress. And her stress and her trauma looks differently than maybe the trauma you're thinking about. But that's why this information is so interesting. So her trauma was her parents were really constantly arguing and fighting amongst each other. And there was just a lot of drama going on in her household. So she would disassociate and she doesn't remember a lot. She doesn't remember a lot of details at all about her childhood. A lot of professional scientists and sociologists and psychologists say that this disassociation is a type of splitting off of self. And that was actually coined by psychiatrist Pierre Janet. And what that is, is that splitting off is, again, you become unconscious, even though you are living through this traumatic experience, you turn off your consciousness and disassociate from reality. All right. So now I'm going to read a little bit from the book, the book, How to Do the Work um, by Dr. Nicola Perra. And just in case you are new, this is your first episode listening. I highly suggest listening to chapter one and chapter two of the podcast and then coming to this third chapter because it makes so much sense going in order. So on page 41, it says trauma. As the majority of mental health professionals understood it, it is the result of a deeply catastrophic event like a severe abuse or neglect. Such events are life-altering, splintering a person's world into a before and an after. The Centers of Disease Control and Prevention provides a scale called the Adverse Childhood Experiences, ACEs test, which mental health professionals use to assess the level of trauma in their clients' lives. The ACEs questionnaires include 10 questions that cover various types of childhood trauma, including physical, verbal, and sexual abuse, as well as experiences of witnessing such such abuse or having an incarcerated family member. Every yes answer to the 10 questions results to one point. Research has shown that the higher the score, the greater the chances of negative self-outcomes, from higher rates of substance abuse and suicide to increased risk of developing chronic illnesses. The ACE's framework is is important because it clearly maps out how traumas sustained in childhood leave lasting imprints on our bodies and minds. The ACE shows that what happens in childhood, especially when it is a highly negative experience, stays with us a lifetime. And that goes back to the epigenetics in chapter one. We talked about how the environment of which we live in literally turns on certain genes, turns off certain genes. And this goes hand in hand with that. So when people face a traumatic event, the trauma lodges itself into the body and affects the nervous system. It signals the fight or flight response, which is a stress response. So with the fact that trauma lodges itself into our bodies, um, we're going to talk more about that in the next chapter, but it's just really important to understand that once we face trauma, it is in us. It is within us until we, until we heal it. Trauma needs to be healed. And that's what doing the work is about. Um, and this, this just makes me think and kind of makes me a little sad, um, about our students, And, you know, I have worked in places where I saw and I knew 
that my students have been facing traumatic events. And it's so interesting and sad to me because like our kids need so much support and help, but it's hard to be the teacher to give that to students when one, you don't even know about trauma and how it lodges into the body and affects everything around us, how the environment literally shapes us. Um, and two, how can a teacher possibly help every single student who has been facing trauma, especially with teachers who teach in communities that have very high traumatic environments? Um, I think this is really good example and evidence of, you know, there needs to be so much more work in the education system to help these families heal and deal with trauma because you know, you can heal the student, but I think it goes broader than that. Like, I think we need to figure out ways and how we can help parents as well. Because, you know, the students only in school for certain hours a day, 180 days of the year, but they're still going to be living in a highly traumatic environment. And um, it I'm really happy to know this information because I feel better equipped to help and to make change. And it's actually quite empowering. But learning this for the first time, this is my second time reading the book. Learning this for the first time made me feel pretty sad. Um, like, So the author continues that in the book, she talks about how she was, you know, practicing psychology in these clients were coming in and she was just treating them the way that she was trained to teach or help them. And she was noticing that it wasn't deep enough. It was very surface level with how she was trying to treat these patients, very surface. And once it got to a certain point, she, you know, had to pass them along to a psychiatrist who can pers uh, prescribe medical or medicine, um, to help with the anxiety, to help with the depression, to help with the stress, or maybe not really help, I guess help. Yeah. But she calls it the bandaid effect. It was just putting a bandaid on the anxiety instead of digging deep and figuring out what traumatic experiences cause this fight or flight response within the client, um, that now the client is facing anxiety on a regular basis or even depression. So the author talks about that she did come from a loving family. Like her family tried the best that they could. Obviously, I truly believe um, people always try to do the best that they can. That's just my personal belief. But when she took the ACE test, remember that's that traumatic experience test, she scored a one. And she was wondering if I scored a one, how come I don't remember a lot of my childhood? How come I don't remember little details or even, you know, feeling how I felt when I was a kid? I don't even, she said she doesn't even remember feeling as a kid. So then she asked herself this question. If nothing traumatic has, as I once understood it, had ever happened to me, why couldn't I remember most of my childhood? Why did I have such a hard time connecting with and taking care of myself emotionally? Why did I constantly betray myself? She then says, little did I know that I suffered from a form of spiritual trauma and I was living the consequences of that trauma in my everyday life.
You guys, this is profound to me, and we're going to talk more about it right now. So the next section of the book is called widening the definition of trauma. And this is when this is, I'm telling you guys right now, this information I'm about to read you is so groundbreaking to me. And I think it's just going to make so many, so much sense to so many people. So I'm going to read page 44 of the book. So the author of the book explains here how she saw so many different clients and noticed that, you know, her practice was just putting a bandaid on what was really going on. Though their histories differed drastically, the dynamics followed a similar script. Many clients were functional perfectionists, overachievers, or addicted to different substances or behaviors. There was a lot of anxiety, depression, lack of confidence, low self-worth, and an obsession with being viewed a certain way. There were problematic relationship patterns, and of course, there was the stuckness, the inability to move forward from patterns of behavior that seemed ingrained. The patterns were telling a story, one that would shed light onto how persuasive trauma in childhood truly is. So to widen the definition of trauma, um, she talks about trauma should be widened to include a diverse range of overwhelming experiences which results in the person to be in a state of helplessness. So the ACE test that has been used for years and years and years does not consider the range of emotional and spiritual traumas, which means denying or repressing the needs of, of the authentic self. I am getting so in deep about authentic self because personally right now on my mission, for the past year or so, um, I have been in the search for my authentic self again. I feel like I was my authentic self growing up to an extent, and then I lost it because of traumatic things that happened to me in my job, and now I'm on the hunt to find it again. And the authentic self is that mind, body, and soul connection. That missing piece is the soul. And traumatic experiences aren't always obvious. Our perception of trauma is just as valid as the trauma itself. So I'm going to talk about this a little bit. I'm going to use myself for examples. Um, so I grew up in a two-parent household. Both my parents worked. And I had a great childhood. But there were still things in my childhood that were considered traumatic to me. To me, the individual Things were traumatic. And that was something as little as I remember in second grade feeling like an outcast because no one really wanted to talk to me or no one wanted to vote for a movie that I loved. Like just little things like that. That is traumatic experiences to me. Um, going forward, I remember just maybe not getting, having deep conversation with my parents. That's something that my parents never really did. Um, but we still loved each other and everything, but I can sense that because I didn't have really in-depth conversation with my parents, that my soul wasn't getting the needs met and I kind of would feel helpless. Like if I wanted to talk about something that was really, really bothering me, like deeply inside, I just didn't didn't feel like I could talk to my parents about things like that. And that is traumatic in itself as well. Even us being born is traumatic for the mother and for us. 
that is a traumatic experience. Um, Again, little things in our childhood, maybe getting snapped at by our parents because they're stressed and they snap at us and that's not getting our soul's needs met. met. Or even in the book, it talks about how a little girl, you know, I don't know if I got this from the book. I think I did. But I remember this example of, you know, a little girl just singing, singing, singing. And then one day her mom's in a bad mood and her mom snaps at her and says, stop singing. It's loud. It doesn't sound good. You're out of tune, blah, blah, blah. That is a traumatic experience in that person's lives because it's a feeling of helplessness and it links to our inner child being hurt a little bit and it alters us because maybe that little girl doesn't want to sing anymore as freely as she used to. Or it's even when I was growing up, I was called weird a lot and annoying. Those are the two things that just... I consider to be traumatic because they were to me. And this is something that's really important. Two people's traumatic experiences, even within the same family, are going to look so drastically different. And that's why I think this is the main point of the whole episode, in my opinion. This is the main overarching theme that I want everyone to take home with today. Even if your life and your traumatic experiences aren't as quote traumatic as someone else and we should just be happy at that our trauma isn't as bad as someone else's that you see on tv or hear about that does not mean your trauma is not trauma your trauma is trauma no matter what like everyone handles trauma differently and every single person in this world has had trauma happen to them And it could be something so little, 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 like getting told no or getting called weird or something huge, like going into foster care or seeing someone pass away in front of you or even seeing like some bloody episode. And even trauma happens by the things we watch. I think we should really be cautious and aware of what we are watching, what we are listening to. All of that can be traumatic to us, especially as kids. So if you can remember growing up, or maybe this is even recently, if um, something happened to you and it, it stings, that was a little bit of trauma that happened to you. And again, widening that definition of trauma, every single person has it. So don't feel bad. You know, it. it's part of being human. It's part of this human experience. It's just our little soul, our precious little authentic self getting told that what we were doing wasn't right or we're weird. And this is especially, especially true in childhood. Remember I talked about how our subconscious mind is like a sponge from ages zero to seven And trauma creates the belief that we must betray who we are in order to survive. Just like that example I told about the little girl singing. She, you know, her mom snapped at her because her mom was stressed out. She wasn't regulating her emotions and she snapped at her daughter. Now the daughter feels like she can't sing and be, you know, her true authentic self. And in order to conform, she shouldn't sing anymore or be loud anymore or be herself anymore. And I do want to put a huge note here that trauma can still happen in your adult life. Um, When I first started teaching, I think I was 23. 
I think, maybe 24, and my first year of teaching was very traumatic for me, honestly. I've talked about this with my friends and my husband. My first year of teaching was a very traumatic time. Remember, I think it's important here that when someone shares something with you, that maybe someone sharing with you that this part of my life was traumatic because of this, we don't judge that. We just listen and understand. Same when you guys are doing your healing work and you're healing your inner wounds. Um, and you're thinking about, I remember this hurting my feelings or I remember this hurting my soul. I remember hurting during this time. That is valid. When you are feeling hurt in any time in your life, it is valid. Do not think that you should have been stronger or it could have been worse. No, 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 no. Whatever you are feeling is valid. I remember in second grade, we were sitting in the cafeteria at an assembly. And I think this is the first time, maybe one of the first times I have felt like my inner child get nicked at or, um, you know, a traumatic experience. Um, I remember my underwear was showing and um, I was getting made fun of for it, which made me very, very sad. And I still remember it to this day. And the reason, and then you just go into a little bit deeper of why was that so traumatic? Because I would, it was like my peers were against me and, you know, just little things like that, you guys, um, I just really want you to feel that it's okay. It is normal. Um, some trauma is really, really, really freaking deep and some is not, that does not mean it is not valid. Do not ever, ever, ever let anyone else tell you, oh, what happened to you was not a big deal. That's not true. Trauma is trauma. A traumatic, a traumatic experience is a traumatic experience. So now we're going to get into the part of the chapter that talks about childhood conditioning and I've talked about this in the last chapter, chapter two, about the subconscious mind. And I've said it again, our brains are in a sponge state from zero to seven. And the author says it's very common for parents to project their own unresolved traumas onto their children. Okay, I'm going to read pages 45 and a little bit from 46 about that. So a parent's role is to be a guide. Think of a guide as a wise teacher, someone who has faith in the foundation that they have provided and trusts that the student will be able to weather what life brings. The child then internalizes this faith. This doesn't mean that the child avoids pain, loss, anger, or grief, the wide array of human feelings. Instead, the guide or parent figure has provided a base of security and resilience for the child to return to when hard times occur. If a parent figure has not healed or even recognized their unresolved traumas, they cannot consciously navigate their own path in life, let alone act as trustworthy guides for someone else. It's very common for parent figures to project their own unresolved traumas onto their children. When even well-meaning parent figures react under the influence of their own unconscious wounds, they, instead of offering guidance, may attempt to control, micromanage, a child to follow their will. Some of these attempts may be well-intentioned. Parent figures may consciously or unconsciously want to keep the child safe and, protect, and protected from the world so that the child will not experience the pain that they themselves have. In the process, they may negate the child's wants and needs, 
Even when this can seem intentional, these reactions often stem from their own deep-rooted pain, which may not be visible on the surface. Many of us were raised by parent figures who had difficulty navigating their emotions as a result of their own unresolved childhood pain. They may have projected the pain onto us directly, or they urged us not to cry, or indirectly when they withdrew in response to our displays of emotion. The emotional loneliness continues into adulthood when we repeat these patterns of emotional avoidance, shutdown, and shaming. And I think, now hear me out here. This is just me thinking. Um, I think during the time my parents were growing up and when I was raised. So my parents were born in 66. I was born in 94. Um, and even now, um, depending on the people, of course, but I think society during that time kind of shamed people for seeking psychiatry for help and psychologists for help and mental wellness. Um, I get the sense that it was kind of like pushed away. Like if something hurtful happened to you, you would just surpass it and not deal with it or heal from it. That's just my thinking of, you know, how society was back then. So a lot of it, you guys, is not really our parents' fault for, you know, being this type of guidance or parent figure. Um, it's just the environment that they were lived in. And this was a really big lesson to me because my best friend said it best. There comes a time in our lives where we not, I don't want to say outgrow our parents, but we see our parents as people instead of our parents. And uh, I'm just really happy that I'm at that stage and I'm getting a little emotional, but <clears throat> okay. Okay. I'm good. <laughs> but, um, I, it, it gets to the point where I just think, you know, I kind of feel bad for my parents in a way because they didn't have this kind of, these books available or in the mainstream media or on social media. Like, I don't think they really had access to the, to this kind of material. So throughout my whole life, and trust me, they did great, but of course everyone has trauma and there is some trauma within me as well. But throughout that whole time of me growing up and becoming my own individual self, they did the best that they could. And I'm grateful for that. I'm, I'm grateful for it. And I think it's just so important to know that everyone, I believe, is trying the best that they can in every moment. You know, they're doing the best that they can with the information that they know. This is from page 47. Just as you learn how to witness yourself consciously, the work is to consciously observe your loved ones and your bonds with them. So like I said before, 20 million bajillion times, children are sponges. They're influenced by friends and classmates or even a cartoon character. They do as they see. They learn by what is being modeled to them by others, especially the people in their family or in their primary parent figures, whoever that may be. Growing up, we learn what relationships look like by our environment. How we feel about our bodies is modeled to us with our environment by watching our parents. All of these learned behaviors we learn from watching our parents. Spending habits, worldviews, beliefs about ourselves and others, trauma in itself. These beliefs are stored in our subconscious minds. 
Identifying wounds in your childhood is a huge step towards self-healing and is rarely easy. Um, One of my episodes, it's called, I spent $444 on a self-development course, and this is what happened. That course I took was me healing a lot of trauma about my self-worth. It was healing a lot of things that happened in my past um, through forgiveness and through you know, understanding I did the best that I could, but I don't need to hold on to this viewpoint anymore and I can set it free. That was the main thing we did in that course. Um, I did a lot of inner child healing. And while digging old scars will be opened and an outpouring of feelings will come with the process of healing, witness this, be kind to yourself and your loved ones. How someone treated you as a child is not a reflection of who you are or who that loved one is. This is where it gets really deep for me. Um, It's like thinking of maybe the one time I asked my mom a question and then my mom snapped at me because she was stressed about something at work or she was stressed about something in life. Um, Healing that, you know, maybe at the time as a kid, I thought, oh, that must have been a dumb question or I must be dumb or um, my mom doesn't care about me. Like, that's not true. And a part of this healing work is getting to the point of love with everything that happened to you and true forgiveness. And it's not easy, but that's what this work is. It's not easy. And I mean, I think you guys can hear it in my voice. I'm kind of choking up a little bit with certain things that I'm talking about out loud because it's kind of the first time I have vocalized it. Um, I mean, I've, I've thought it and I've wrote it down in my journal, but vocalizing it is different and speaking about it is different. So we all carried unresolved trauma. When we heal it, bring awareness and light to it. We heal and transform it. The key is to bring light to it. Bring light to your trauma. Literally what helps me is thinking of a light on this little dark patch of my life And looking at that situation in the lens of love. In the lens of love, in the lens of this taught me something. Trauma is a part of life. It is unavoidable. Even our birth is traumatic, like I said before, on you and mom. Or on, yeah, on the baby and on the mom. Even the dad. Even the dad. So when you do the healing, you can change. Trauma affects the whole person. The nervous system, immune response, uniquely. Trauma is universal and individual, and that's what I want you guys to walk away with this episode. I want you guys to walk away that every single person has trauma, but in order to heal from the trauma and do that self-work, the deep, deep self-work on your inner child, um, uh, the shadow work, all of it, is to bring light to those places that you view as dark and maybe you don't even want to think about. Um bring light to it. Now, if you have faced like trauma that is really hard for you to bring light on, like I talked about in the last chapter, if it's too heavy, too much, stop, acknowledge that that is your boundary and appreciate yourself for going there. Acknowledge that you tried it and you did good. The point that you attempted to, you know, try to heal this or try to bring light to it is amazing. So give yourself credit for that as well. And of course, if you guys 
find the need if you guys have really heavy traumatic experiences that you know is it's, it's different for everyone but if you feel the need to go seek psychology help or help from a psychologist go do it I don't want you guys to think that I'm telling you not to absolutely not but I think if you want to go see a psychologist go ahead see for yourself and like this um, author says Dr. Nicola Perra she had this whole thing on her Instagram talking about how um, she did a poll with her audience of over a million people about you know do you think your psychologist is well trained enough to he help you heal with trauma and a lot of people said no but some people said yes I believe there are psychologists doing the work that this book talks about already. Go ahead and go out and explore and find. And if you want to step into the psychology realm first and then come back and try to heal as well, I don't think a psychologist is going to heal you 100% completely. This is just my opinion. Disclaimer, disclaimer. I think you need to do additional work as well. I don't think there's going to be like a magic pill or a magic button to where push this or eat this and you're going to be healed completely. No, I don't think that exists at all. It's truly a change in your mindset and how you view things and um, everything we talk about really on this podcast. So I do want you guys to know that if you want to seek help, you can, of course, duh, but don't think I'm telling you not to. I think, you know, it helps a lot, a lot of people, especially take that first initial, uh, first step and even getting to a place of talking in front of someone outwardly about what has happened in your life leading up to this point holds so much power. There's power in trying to do better in every shape, form of anything that you try to do to better yourself. That's true power. That's empowerment. Okay, so I just saw that there are different childhood archetypes that the psychologist discusses. And I think I'm going to save this for the next week's episode because I want to dig deeper into those archetypes. And I did the work in this book. Um, there's journal props to go along with this book. And I looked at what archetype I thought I established with or felt you know, what I was impacted by, I guess, or fell into that category. And I did the journal prompts and I did the deep work and it helped so, so much. So I do want to save this for next week's episode. We're about to hit 40 minutes, which is a really good amount of time for a podcast. So I do want to leave off here. I want to thank every single person for listening to this week's show. And if anything arose in you to where you feel any type of way, embrace it, witness it, be aware of it, and just be proud of yourself for wanting to do better and learn new information. Um, if you could leave a review on the show, uh, that is really, really appreciated, especially, especially if you listen on Apple and be sure to share this with anyone who you may find to think that this is helpful for them. They don't have to be teachers. It could be absolutely anyone. Follow me on Instagram, subscribe to my YouTube and this podcast. And you guys, I will see you next week. And please remember, Becoming High Vibe has changed my life and it will change yours too. Shine your light. I'll see you guys all next week and have a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic week. Bye.